Hello there. You're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. A special thanks to The Ohio State Center for Operational Excellence for arranging this interview. Today, we are speaking with Dan Newman, Principal Analyst of Futurum Research and CEO of Broadsuite Media Group. He works with the world's largest technology brands to explore digital transformation and help enterprises leverage disruptive innovations to gain a market advantage. A seven-time best-selling author, including his most recent book, Human Machine, The Future of Our Partnership with Machines and Building Dragons, Digital Transformation in the Experience Economy, Daniel is also a Forbes, MarketWatch, and VentureBeat contributor. A Chicago native, Dan has earned an MBA in management and is a graduate adjunct professor at North Central College School of Business and Economics. He's received a bachelor's degree in marketing at Northern Illinois University. Dan, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Love being on campus here at Ohio State, and I appreciate the opportunity to join you in the show. In your keynote presentation at the Center for Operational Excellence's professional development meeting, uh, based on your most recent book, uh, you outline how the integration of automation and artificial intelligence will augment the human world. Uh, what are the changes that you're witnessing in particular? Well, there's changes across everything, and, and this show being bent on uh, manufacturing, we'll definitely touch on that. But, you know, humans are, the ingenuity of humans never cease to amaze. Um, you laugh. We've been finding and extending ourselves with the uh, since the advent of the of the of the stick, you know, that we found to, you know, I talk about this in the book, you know, that we would find a way to take a stick and put it between two rocks to extract water in the caveman days to be able to find, you know, our survival. And, and ever since then, we've been extending ourselves with tools. Uh, you look at the shoes on your feet; they're a tool. You look at the coats that you wear; they're a tool. Um, as we've expanded into the world, we've done this with our phones and the devices that we carry in our pockets now, our automobiles. Uh, we built flying machines to get us from one place to another faster. So we're, we're really seeing this kind of rapid transformation, but sometimes I think it's important to go back because since our the beginning of time, we've always been this way. We've always been um, evolving and figuring out ways to do things better, more efficiently, and faster. So if you look at manufacturing, that's exactly what we're going through. You hear the terms like Industry 4.0. I mean, what's really happening is we are looking at every way that technology that can be implemented to make the manufacturing process more efficient. Um, this is digital transformation, by the way, in every industry. How do you take a task or uh, something that a company does, especially repeatable tasks, many, many times and do it faster? Remember the assembly line, the Ford, and yep. how cars are manufactured today? Um, so what we're really finding now, though, is that there's there's a trend that's starting to incorporate more things. Um, a couple of the big ones in manufacturing you look at is, is IoT, for instance. Um, the Internet of Things, and specifically they call it the Industrial Internet of Things, it's, it's the sensors uh, that are able to be put on machines that can do everything from predictive maintenance and knowing when a machine might um, need a, a certain part repaired to then um, the automation process of being able to have that part ordered and on the shelf in time so that the machine's downtime has been limited, um, all the way up to you know using auto, uh, artificial intelligence that can look at the, the machine's behaviors and decide when the machine should turn on and turn off. Um, so we are, we are incorporating technologies that become part of a task. Um, and that's kind of one of the things, by the way, that's really an important uh, thing that society understands is that AI and most of these technologies aren't really about replacing humans. They're about replacing tasks. And the problem is for a lot of people, if your entire role is based on a simple task, 
those are going to be the people that are most in, in, endangered for their jobs. So I realized I covered a lot of ground there and I kind of went wide. I started with uh, the caveman and went all the way up to the front of society. But what we're really seeing is a continuation of human, the human um, condition of being in, in, in innovative and driving new ideas into business. And in the end, it really becomes enhanced productivity, enhanced capacity, and driving better results and using technology to enable that. You state that this movement toward AI and automation will not reach apocalyptic levels. How do you respond to those who uh, make this sound as if it's some uh, doomsday argument? Yeah, when I get on stage, I talk about this. So when the publisher came to myself and uh, Olivier Blanchard, who is my co-author on this book, and asked us to write it, uh, we didn't know which side of this argument we would be on. So the idea was human-machine is it doomsday? Was that going to be the book? Like, you know, the world as we know it has come to an end, which, by the way, I wrote a book called uh, Evolve Marketing as We Know It is Doomed. So I'm all for a little bit of prov provocation um, mm -hmm. in my writing. Um, but our research just didn't find that. Um, so as we did the research, we looked at, you know, the research from big firms like Accenture, McKinsey. We do our own digital transformation indexes at my firm, Futurum Research. Uh, we talked qualitatively. We also advised the world's big tech companies. And we found augmentation to be a much more um, common route of the way technology would be implemented. Um, you know, you'd see certain studies that would show things like maybe in the next 10 years, 10% 10 of jobs would be at risk. You'd see some other studies that might even say as much as 20 to 30% of jobs would be at risk. But there's that other side of it. And, you know, with every industrial revolution, uh, people have gone into them saying this is going to be the end of jobs. And every industrial re re revolution we've come out of, there's actually been more jobs. And so I look at it very simply. I say, you know, in 2000, how many people on your team did you think would be running digital for your company, right? So you had a marketing department that did print marketing, for instance. Now you might have 30 people that are responsible for everything from SEO to social media to, uh, you know, digital uh, display advertising to, you know, and copywriting, blogs, you know, on your, on your website. And what I'm saying is that job didn't exist and you didn't have that. And that wasn't the way you built a funnel if you were in selling a product. Um, so the jobs that you are displacing will be replaced with new things. The problem with people in society, and this includes myself, is we don't always have the vision to know what that is. So when we don't know what it is, so say you're a truck driver and you're hearing about autonomous vehicles and those trucks are going to take people from point A to point B, the natural uh, assertion you have is, oh, those, these trucks are going to replace my job. Exactly. And so the hard part of that is seeing, well, yeah, the truck might be able to actually get from point A to point B, but there's still a whole bunch of, of value added. There's, you know, there's the securing the goods. There's actually the last mile. You know, the delivery drivers make me laugh because everyone thinks like a robot dog is going to be delivering your packages to your door. Well, what happens when humans start to interfere with that process? What happens when, you know, um, you know, humans... They vandalize, destroy, maybe just because society doesn't like it. The, the packages start to be stolen, robbed because these machines aren't, aren't designed. Humans are designed exponentially better to do the last mile of a delivery than a machine is anytime soon. So what we found at, uh, at OMI is that, uh, you know, that this is, even though it may seem to be a rapidly iterative process, that it really will take 20 to 30 years for automation to be integrated seamlessly within operations technology, but that the human factor is still important. So what do you see in terms of that evolution? Yeah, I think there's going to be pieces and parts that are going to be evolving more quickly. You know, you go back to those assembly line examples. I mean, look, 
you know, if your entire role is a single task, you know, you're just checking QA on a single latch on a door, um, that job might be able to be automated where quality control can be done more efficiently. Um, but if your job has a lot of different tasks, including management, managerial, including leadership, including empathy, including interaction, the machines are generally not as capable of handling those types of, of, of activities. Um, and in fact, they're, I think they're pretty far away from handling those types of activities seamlessly. Um, I think it will be a process though, and I think companies will continue to look at automating. And this is where, you know, the other side of our, our discussion about, I wouldn't call it the apocalypse, but about the transition of people who do have these highly task-based roles is there does need to be a willingness to become something else in society. Um, in my presentation, I, I have a, this picture of um, a chimney sweep and a, um, you know, a candle, uh, candle lighter, like in a, you know, in a city before electricity, right? You mm -hmm. used to, the, the, there was the lamps, they would, the gas lighter, <laughs> literally the gas lighter. Uh, nowadays, that means something completely different, but they would go light <laughs> every lamp. And um, those jobs don't exist anymore. But you know what? With the invention of electricity, there was a whole new industry created, a whole new series of roles. Um, <laughs> great story here is we hear a lot about Amazon Go. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard about it. This is retail, but it has a, has a bend for manufacturing. Amazon Go is the store with the just walk out technology. You literally use your phone. You, you scan in. You go into the store. You pick up all the goods and services mm -hmm. that you want. And when you walk out, you don't pay because it knows who you are. It just basically connects you to the store. The items are all sensor-based. You put them into your bag. When you walk out, you get a receipt. Um, there's one being built by my house. And you know what? Every day I watch it being built. There's general contractors in the parking lot. There's electricians. There's HVAC people. Uh, there's plumbers. Uh, so my point is, is that there is a whole industry being built around automating the retail experience that's being physically built by an industry that's hundreds of years old because people still need to construct buildings. They still need to run the cables in the buildings. They still need to put the toilets in the bathrooms. All those things still happen and are all going to be done by humans uh, for the foreseeable future. That's true. Uh, what are companies' major concerns in determining the most appropriate path to take in uh, technology adoption and integration? Yeah, this is a huge topic. This isn't any one industry. This is about culture. So in my last book, Before Human Machine, it was called Future Proof. And Future Proof was the seven key pillars for digital transformation success. And, you know, these pillars were everything from experience to culture when, you know, things like technology, innovation, change, people, leadership were all in this thing. And most of them were people-driven. And this was the really funny thing is we researched companies that were succe succeeding in their digital transformation. We found that all of them were using technology, but the ones that were having the greatest levels of success were extremely adept to maximizing the value of their people, of the people of the organization. Um, and so when people always ask me, well, where do we start our digital transformation? Is it big data? Is it analytics? Is it AI? Is it automation? Is it machine learning? I say, no, it's culture. Start with culture. If you build a culture in your organization of people who feel passionate about the vision of the company, who understand that technology is going to play a role, but that is not going to displace them, and that the company is going to be retooling and upskilling and providing additional um, opportunities for growth, and that people who are passionate and invested in the business will have a chance to grow in the business, the technology adoption rates go up exponentially. As and opposed to an occupational NIMBY. Yeah. 
I mean, essentially, if people, you know, resist it and you meet that everywhere. I mean, I've, I've given these talks hundreds of places and I always watch people in the crowd and depending on the type of organization, even leadership teams, there's always someone on the leadership team that kind of sits there with their notebook and they shut the book, you know, 15 minutes into the presentation and they just shut it out. They say, we're not changing. We don't want to change. Um, you see a lot of sales leaders that don't want to hear about uh, Salesforce automation tools and things that are going to change the way people sell. But it's proven. You know, in a lot of cases, 60, 70, 80 percent of a sale is complete before the first interaction takes place with a salesperson. And if you can't embrace that to then enable your salespeople for that last 30 or 40 percent, then you eventually will phase yourself out of a job. But that's not automation and AI that's doing that to you. That's your own um, you know, unwillingness to adapt and adopt and, and basically become agile enough to survive in a world that's changing very quickly. So I think you answered my, my culture question and, and I think uh, also the <laughs> other, other characteristics of companies that are, uh, you know, developing the symbiotic relationship with AI and automation. Yeah. So I talked about the the, the people thing. Um, experiences, though. And so I, you heard me mention experience. So companies that are, are becoming more and more born on experience. Now, um, in the manufacturing space, it's a little bit different because the behind-the-scenes manufacturing stuff, experience, is harder to gauge in terms of – but the product that is the output in the end is very, very important and experience for customers. So you look at things like the, the way people are personalizing a vehicle. Um, how do people shop today for a Tesla versus how people shopped in the past for an automobile? Um, you, you notice the technology, the experience, and how it all is very interconnected to the manufacturing end-to-end, -end, that people basically want a personalized product. They want to be able to uh, view it, test it, feel it, experience it, uh, spin it around on their mobile device, pinch it, grab it, look at it, um, change the colors of the wheels, um, change the color of the interior. And you've seen that. That's augmented reality. It's a very, very small example of augmented reality. But um, the experience economy is driving so much pace in, in, in companies. You're seeing everything from mattress companies like Casper to, um, you know, the way uh, you go buy a pair of Nikes at a Nike store now where you can say, I want my custom Nikes. <laughs> All jokes aside, I mean, custom Nikes. Um, and you want to be able to, uh, you know, get your colors and your name and your logo. And that's that's technology. That's real-time manufacturing, that's augmented reality, and that's experience. And those experiences tie people intimately to their brands. And if you want to see how intimate people can be to their brands, just look at the relationship that people hold with their personal devices. True. I heard a uh, speaker earlier this week say, uh, you know, at one time phones were were tethered and, and now we're tethered to our phones. So uh, that... It's actually kind of scary. Um, I watch people in airports a lot because I travel a lot, and I'm I'm guilty. I spend an exponential amount of time. That's not even the right word. I spend way too much time on my phone. They are an extension of us. You want to figure out where you're going, you punch it into the map. You want to know what time it is, you look at your phone. You want to know the weather today and where you're going, you look at, at the device. Obviously, everything, our productivity, our emails, our messages, our meetings, uh, you want to know what's going on in the world. So, you know, that's what I'm saying is when people think about, like, augmentation with technology as being this new thing, we've been doing this forever. We've been extending ourselves with technology for the longest time. It goes back thinking about putting the first phone on our desk. Think about how much that changed the role of so many people and jobs and companies when they could suddenly pick up a phone and have two locations connected seamlessly without having to drive anywhere or without having to send your horses and buggies across town. Um, 
the, we've been doing this forever. And that's why when people treat it like it's doom and gloom, it kind of makes me laugh. We, you know, this is bigger, it's faster, it's a bigger inflection point, but we've been doing this. We're a very adaptable uh, species and we'll continue to adapt. And there's always going to be those that won't. So you were talking about uh, workers who are tied to a particular skill. So what does a worker in this new environment, what you know, high, mid to high level skills do they need in order to adapt? I think it's a constant appetite for knowledge. I think, you know, it's not necessarily a specific, um, you know, this is the one thing. But I say, you know, we're sort of in this YouTube economy now. So you used to want to learn to play the guitar, you would go hire a guitar teacher. You know, now you want to learn to play the guitar, you buy a guitar and you go on YouTube or you buy an app. You know, and that's kind of like depends on learning style a little bit. But, you know, you might want to watch someone play and mimic. You might want to find an app that sort of helps you with hand and finger positions. But in the end, you sort of do something, you repeat, you learn, you keep moving. And we we do this with language now. We do this with musical instruments now. We do this with um, learning job skills. I mean, there's tools now being built that are literally um, automation, AI, um, tools that live inside of complex software environments that help people adopt them. They're like literally digital adoption tools that are on, say, you've got a new ERP system that say, you know, we're not going to have two days in a room to teach all of our operations people to use this ERP. We're going to have a on-dash um, user experience that basically walks you through how to do these roles. And then, of course, you know, that's where you then layer on. So those are the roles that you need humans to be involved in. And that's the difference. Most companies then will look at, you know, RPA, uh, intelligent robotic process automations to say, here's the things we don't need humans to do. But in almost all cases, it's still an attended activity, meaning that humans are contributing to the process and the bots are augmenting it to make it faster, more efficient, to make companies run more productively. Given this age of YouTube and, uh, and, um, and as you said, that, you know, um, you know, on-dash user experiences, uh, what is the role that you know, a higher education provider uh, takes at that point? I feel like I have to answer this question really well. <laughs> come here at Ohio State. Um, I think we're seeing a big uh, disruption in education. You know, I have two children. I have an 18-year-old daughter. She's going up to North Dakota, University of North Dakota, soccer player, wants to become a physical therapist. Funny, I said that, you know, that job has almost no chance of being disrupted. There's no machine that's going to replace that, you know, the ability to help humans to rehabilitate them. But the but the point is, is most a lot of jobs are whether you're a marketer, you're a salesperson, you go into operations, um, you know, you're in healthcare, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. There is disruptive uh, act, uh, tendencies in all of these roles where you're going to look at things that were redundant and um Higher education is going to become more and more about teaching adaptability. It's going to be more about teaching how to learn. Um, there's been like movements towards these upside down classrooms. And I've taught uh, grad school at North Central College in, in Naperville. And, you know, that was one of the things I really was big on. And, and unfortunately, because of my work, I can't teach all the time. I kind of come and go and do it when I can. Mm -hmm. But I've always been really passionate about the the time in the classroom is more about shared learning, shared experiences, shared knowledge. But out of the classroom, there's so much of a greater opportunity to to bend yourself. I call it, you know, sort of bending uh, your your capabilities, getting out there, learning, staying knowledgeable on what's going on, constantly having a thirst for knowledge, um, being willing to learn um, new roles and how to do things that aren't necessarily in your comfort zone. Um, because I think, like you said, as you look at this upskilling movement that's going to take place, 
the people that are going to embrace this, that are going to take the opportunity, that are going to do the additional training, they're the same people that go on and get advanced degrees while they're working that may not even mean anything financially for them, but they just have that thirst to continue to learn and to continue to uh, consume information all day long. I say, I'm a voracious reader. I, I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day. I say, I don't read a lot of books because I don't have time to sit and read something from end to end. I said, but I probably read 70 articles, 80 articles a day, literally. Um, everything from a Harvard Business Review to Forbes to the Wall Street Journal to USA Today. I read stuff that's on the right. I read stuff that's on the left. I, I, I The Economist, you know, you just, it's like, and, and it's consuming all that knowledge and saying, what kind of ideas can I bring? So you go back to when I talked about Future Proof and one of the most important things we found with companies that were, were able to digitally transform was that their people are contributing in big ways to bringing innovative ideas, products, and solutions into the company. Whether that's as simple as a small process that becomes better because someone that deals every day with customers or with that process can come and bring an idea, all the way to inventing a new product or new service that came out of the fact that from being here, watching, paying attention, learning, reading, they're just like, I see the trend, I have an idea, I bring it to the company. And then those companies in return invest heavily in people who bring those kinds of uh, inputs to the business. Well, with all of this, what are you working on next? A lot of things. So, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you read off my bio. Uh, you know, I run a research and analysis firm. We advise the high-tech industry. So we work with a lot of big tech. And, and that's been a really, really uh, fun journey, but it's been very time-consuming. I laughed. I have 27 events between now and the middle of the year. Um, you know, I've got another book in me. Um, you know, I think I'll write one probably next year. Uh, I don't know exactly where I want to take it yet, but I, I think, you know, we're going to continue on this this um, AI trend, this AI train. Um, it's still early days. And the funny thing is people were studying AI 40 years ago, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. I met a gentleman who got his PhD in the, in the 1980s in, in AI. So the AI is not a new thing. Same thing with additive manufacturing, and that people don't realize that that just didn't yeah. come on the scene a few years ago. No, it's uh, it's uh, it's seems new, and the technology has brought it into the mainstream. Um, we've been 3D printing for more than a decade. You know, it's getting better, it's getting faster, and it's getting cheaper. But it's happening um, every day. So, you know, I think for me, what stems that next thing is going to be. Um, is going to be just continuing to do exactly what I shared to the audience here. It's going to be reading, paying attention, learning, talking to these companies. At some point, that spark will fly, and I'll say, this is the next thing I want to write about, talk about, speak about. But for now, there's a lot of education in this particular arena, human-machine. There's a lot to talk about with the augmentation of work. And there's, I think, a lot of need for the market to hear that this isn't something to fear. Um, this is a way that we all grow. And if as a society we can kind of recognize this isn't the apocalypse, but really uh, all this technology that's exciting us every day, that's connecting us to these devices, that's got us uh, meeting people faster all over the world, whether that's for dating or friendship or just connecting with fellow fans of uh, Ohio State in any part of the world, um, technology is changing our life. It's making it better. Um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of end on this, but we have three major constructs in the book. It's called Big Brother, Big Mother, Big Butler. And so Big Brother is the technology that's, you know, really used to um, impede and, and, and surveil. Um, Big Mother is that technology that started off with the idea of being for good, but sometimes becomes a little too intrusive. Think Facebook and think Amazon and think Uber. Um, and then Big Butler, which, by the way, is part of all of the different technology stacks, is really how technology augments and enhances our human productivity and condition. So I think there's a lot of 
big butler out there. And so I want to help educate the market and companies to find more of that instead of the abusive, intrusive data. Um, and then, you know, sharing transparency. So I realize I went long on that question, but it's a big answer. Uh, so what's next? I guess we'll see together. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Oh, that's a great perspective. Thank you, Dan, for taking the time to come on the show. Really do appreciate it. Thank you.